this is Brother Jerry, the pastor here at Friendship Baptist Church, and you are about to watch one of our messages. I hope that during this time that you would prayerfully listen. I hope that the Lord speaks to you, that he uses this message to help you grow. I hope you're able to experience God. I hope you're able to connect with him and connect with our church. I hope that you're able to respond to what he's doing in your life. I hope you enjoy. May the Lord bless you during this time. church. Y'all doing okay this morning? I didn't, that, that, I like that a little better. How about we all give a hallelujah on the count of three? One, two, three. Hallelujah. There we go. That makes me feel like y'all want to worship the Lord and, and, and that he's worthy and that he's uh, here to commune with us this morning. You know, that's what we do when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are meeting with the Lord together, worshiping. And so one day when I asked that question, I want to be blown away with an, a response of, of heart-filled worship. Amen? Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Now, i got a couple announcements to get us going this morning. First off is Reach Texas, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, too, at the end. But the first thing I need you to know is there's some uh, offering envelopes in the back and, and uh, on the tables in the back. And that is uh, something we do every September, and the purpose of that is, is all missions and evangelism. 100% of this money goes towards missions and evangelism in Texas. And so a uh, big part of that is church plants in Texas. A big part of that is uh, the cities and, and what's going on in the cities with all the international students. Disaster relief is a part of that. All this money helps fund those things for the glory of Christ. And so the, the goal for our church that we set is $1,000, and so... If y'all would just uh, pray about considering uh, looking at giving some money toward Reach Texas offering and see if we can reach our $1,000 goal there. And so there's the first thing. Um, women's Bible studies continuing on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Uh, you either go to one or the other. Um, it's the same thing, both Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And I think they're in like week number three or something like that, four, three, four. Three, how many hands are there? Three, four. <laughs> She's showing me back there. Week four. And so uh, um, I keep hearing it's this is just a blessing. Um, God's really changing a little bit of the culture of the way some of our women think, and I know you men are saying praise God deep down, um, but the idea of I hear language such as I was spiraling, and, and uh, I heard that this morning, that I was spiraling, and we're catching what, what um, Satan's doing with our thoughts and, and how um, we can turn that over to Christ. Praise the Lord. And so uh, looking forward for y'all uh, continuing that six-week study there. Um, we have a mass, I think uh, we don't have any right now. I think we got to get them back. Um, do we have some more? You found some? Um, they're gaiters, and so uh, you um, wear them kind of like this. I don't want to mess up my hair, you know. Um, but uh, you wear them uh, around your neck, and you, it covers your mouth. They're $5. That goes toward youth um, camp, and so if you'd like to purchase some of those, you can go to the back. Hunter take care of you back there. Let's see here. Wedding shower for Chase and Cheyenne. Um, that will be September 12th at 2 p.m. The register at Bed Bath & Beyond and Amazon. Love to have you all there and uh, help send them off um, um, and help them uh, as they're settling, they're coming into this awesome covenant together of, of marriage. You know, uh, y'all remember that day, don't you? It's a little scary, isn't it? And so let's be there to walk beside them and show them that their church loves them and, and is wanting to walk life with them. And so there's that. A couple more things just to keep on your radar is we're looking at bringing Sunday school back really soon. I'm looking maybe in the next couple weeks. I don't know what that exactly looks like. I got to do some uh, um, legwork on finding out exactly like on the women's class and different things. I know uh, we might switch some teachers around that uh, are available to come and if uh, we'll just see what God does there, uh, how he uh, works that all out. Um, with that being said, though, uh, 
Sunday school is also expanding. I know that's crazy to think about in a time like this, but if y'all have been watching this building over here, you've been noticing a couple things that some of our men have been working really hard on. They're closing it in and they put two new rooms there, which means our Sunday school rooms go from like 9 to 14. And so isn't that exciting? Yeah, amen. Praise the Lord that we have an opportunity to, to host some more uh, rooms where people are, are committing together to follow Christ and walk life together. And so that means we need teachers, kids teachers, even baby infant teachers, nursery workers, um, children's church workers still, all that's still a real need. And so pray about um, um, if that's where God would have y'all do that. I saw a picture and it had this blue watermelon and it was one of them I test on Facebook. It said, if uh, this is red, you're normal. If this is something else. Um, it's something. And then it says, if it's blue, you're called to children's ministry. And it was obviously blue. <laughs> And so uh, just keep that in mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you are mighty, Lord. And I'm looking forward to just a, a sweet sense of worship today, Lord. God, we worship you every day, Lord. But there's just something about coming together as you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, uh, as we corporately gather and humble our hearts, Lord, and you open our hearts, God, to you, to who you are, Lord that we would see you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy would shower upon us this morning, and Lord, that uh, the word would come alive. Lord, change us, transform us into the image of Christ, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in the name of Christ we come to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, this is our birthday and anniversary song. If y'all would stand with us. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Way beyond the blue. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Way beyond the blue. Hey, Father God, uh, it is so great to be in your house, Lord. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are, never changing. And Lord, for making that way back that we can get back uh, in grace with you, God. And it's, it's all you, God, sending uh, Jesus to die on that cross for us, Lord. And thank you for his willingness to do that, God, for the love of, for, for loving us. Lord, we thank you so much to be able to come to your house and worship you in song and, and hearing your word preached, Lord. I just pray you anoint Brother Jerry as he brings our message. Lord, have our ears open and our hearts uh, open, Lord, to receive the word you would have us to hear. And God, we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy lands where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land, I am bound for the promised land, oh who will come and go with me, I am bound for the promised land. For all those wide extents 
that happy place and be forever blessed. When shall I see my Father's face and in His bosom rest? I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Praise the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I'm telling you what, uh, you know, kids love to sing, don't they? You know, I just was wondering maybe um, if the Lord would lay it on someone's heart and mind to uh, lead maybe like a children's uh, choir or something. Just if anyone feels like they could invest a little bit and kind of get some kiddos up here or something and, and sing maybe once or twice and just try it out maybe one time or something. You know, I was just thinking about the joy that came in. Holton's face, you should have seen him in practice. Uh, he said, can we sing that song, uh, God's Not Dead? God's not dead, he's surely alive. He, he, he went through it with us. And so uh, uh, I'd love to see some of our kiddos do that. And so if um, the Lord uh, lays that on you, then, then you uh, come talk with uh, Jacqueline or Sandy or someone and me and see what uh, God might do with something like that. Today is a wonderful day. It's the day the Lord's made and I think about as we're about to open up God's Word this morning, um, I'm just a little overwhelmed with His presence this morning. I, I uh, am excited about getting into God's Word this morning. Are you all excited about getting into God's Word? There's a sense of uh, over being overwhelmed by opening this up this morning, and I, and I just have this um, illness as I get to this message. This might perhaps be one of the most important messages I've ever preached before, and I mean that. And I mean that, and perhaps that might mean that this would be one of the most important messages you've ever heard before. And so I say that hoping that the Lord might grab your eyes and your ears this morning as we come to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to get there in a little bit, but I believe that He can use this word this morning and make it come alive in our lives. I know that we come in these doors so often and there's a burden that we carry. There's a hard burden, a heavy burden that seems to close in around us. Are you all aware? Am I the only one that's ever felt that burden before? It just seems to close in around us. And I want to talk about being freed from that just a little bit today. How, how God provides freedom in that. And, and, and so as we look at this word this morning, I, I just believe that it has the potential and any of his word has the potential of this, but I just feel like he might do it this morning with his grace. The potential of transforming you. You're here this morning because God wants you to be here this morning. It's no accident that you're in here this morning to hear this message. And I believe that he can use this to come alive, transform your heart, transform your mind, transform the very image of who you are. I believe that the person you walked in here today as might be different because of God's grace alone as you walk out. And that happens by His Word and hearing it in faith. And we're going to walk through this today. But I believe it has that much potential this morning. And so may we come seriously before the Lord. In fact, with something that has that much potential, I want to go running to God right now in prayer. And I want to ask that He does this very thing. Open our hearts. Father God, Lord, we are in all of You, Lord. 
God, I, I praise you this morning, Father, because you are praiseworthy, God. Lord, you, Lord, as, as we just was praying earlier corporately, God, that you, Father, came as a man. Lord, that blows my mind. You came as a man to take on the debt of sin, Lord. God, to pay the, the penalty on the cross, Lord. But, Father, that was so that you can commune with us, that you can live and indwell inside of us, Lord. What grace, what powerful, amazing grace that is, God. Lord, as we open up your word today, would you open our hearts? Lord, you're the one that has the key to our heart, Lord. Would you open it? Would you show us yourself, Lord Jesus? As we seek the Son of the invisible God, Lord, you Christ, as we seek you, may you open our hearts. God, as we pray, would we engage in the Spirit this morning? Would your Spirit draw us to you? God, in fact, as I believe your Word has this power, this potential to transform us, God, I just want to leave it open this morning to corporately pray right now, Lord. If anybody wants to lift a voice of prayer to you, that we take an opportunity to do that right now as we seek you, Lord, seek your grace, God. Yes, Christ. Soften our hearts, Lord. Open our ears, Father, that we may hear your voice. Yes, Lord. Lord, that that voice may bring us to you. Yes. Yes, God. God, I pray for my husband right now as he has a journey for work, Lord. I just pray that, that you just allow me to speak through everything that he speaks to us this morning, Lord, and that you just open hearts and Prepare us for whatever we're about to hear. Mm -hmm. Yes, God. God, I just thank our church this morning. Lord, I know that we have so much that you want to do through this church. And God, I just pray that you just would send your Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, God. Yes, Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. God, you've heard it. We desire you in this place, Lord. Lord, show your grace. Show your mercy as you reign in this place. You reign over all the earth, Lord. But God, you've chosen to be here with us this morning. God, I praise you. We worship you. As we open up your word, Lord, would you be glorified in the name of Christ, I pray. <clears throat> Amen. So as we open up the scriptures and we literally are opening up the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. The word of God that literally captivates, that literally captures God's holy and mighty thoughts and kind of seals them through the spirit on paper for us to read. As we open this up and have the privilege to hear God's holy thoughts, may we continue to seek him. We open up in a spirit of prayer, but that's not just that moment that we just prayed, we are in a spirit of prayer throughout today and the rest of this week. Amen? I want God to open your hearts this morning as we look at Galatians. And I want to come to this idea today of, of asking this question. <clears throat> what is it that pleases God? What is it? How do we please God? And I think this is a phenomenal question because our mind immediately goes to these answers. Well, we read the Bible, we, we, we pray, <clears throat> we, we uh, come and worship together, we do all these things, but, but I want to challenge that a little bit today from God's Word in the sense that I don't think in that simple form that's how we please God. I don't think God is pleased in that way. In fact, as we looked through Galatians chapter 1 last week, and we're kind of walking through this whole story through the book of Acts and what God's done, really, if I've seen anything... What I really see in God's Word is that God's pleasure is not based on our performance at all. Did you catch that? That God's pleasure, being pleased, is not based on our performance for Him. This is huge because, because God's not pleased. Like I said, we come in this place so many weeks with this heavy burden, I think, and, and we sit down in this place and, 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 and we struggle through this idea of, Man, am I pleasing God today? And then we, we feel like we're doing pretty good when we're in the Word, when we're praying, and when we're coming to church, we feel like we're pleasing God. But then the moment that we step out and we struggle in our quiet times or we struggle with coming to church, it's like, oh, I'm definitely not pleasing God. And then we take that, and as we try to come in these doors at times, I think we think, I don't even know if I'm really worthy to be in here because I'm not even trying to please God. Maybe, maybe this will make it right, though. Maybe I can please Him finally by getting back into this. Am I the only one that's ever thought a little bit like that? I think that's the way we work naturally. And so I want to challenge this from God's word that I truly believe that in the bottom line, our ultimate basis of God's pleasure is not based on our performance for him. That means that our works aren't what pleases God. 
means our efforts is not what pleases God. That our intentions, our heart in in times, is not what pleases God. And so while you think about these things, in one sense, it's kind of freeing, right? That, wow, it's not up to me in a sense to please God. That's a freeing thought, amen? But then it's kind of frustrating, if you ask me a little bit. Wait a second, you mean if my works don't please God, if my efforts don't please God, if my intentions in my heart doesn't really please God, the ultimate pleasing that I'm talking about here, well, how do we please God? If I can't do it, how do I please God? And that's the question that Galatians is going to tackle because I believe God's word encourages us to please God. If you read Paul, as he talks to the Corinthians, he says, my aim, my goal is to please God. And if you read through uh, Thessalonians like we went through not too long ago, he, he encourages the Thessalonians to live a life pleasing to God. If you look at Galatians chapter 1, you remember when he said, am I pleasing man or am I pleasing God? Implying that he's striving to please God. So wait a second here. If it doesn't happen through our works and tensions and, 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 and our efforts, then how do we please God? Because there's something inside of us that desires to please God that God gives us, I think. So how do we do that? That's what I want to tackle this morning through the book of Galatians. So the first point, we're going to get started right away. The first point this morning, as we seek to please God, we often fall into one of two wrongful approaches. So the way this is going to be structured, just so you're following with me, is we're going to start off looking at how we don't please God. Because sometimes I think if we get that context, then we can place ourselves there, because I believe as we start walking through this, you're going to place yourself there with me of ways we struggle and the wrong ways in which we, we approach it to try to please God. And then I believe God's word's going to shower his, his grace and his mercy and showing us that it's not in those ways. It's in this way. And that's going to be the next point as we walk through this. The first way that we approach that, I think we fall into, one of the first approaches that we often fall into when we try to please God is called legalism. And I believe Galatians shows this word, this idea of, of legalism all the way through. And, and at some point when we hear this word, even when we hear this word, we um, automatically can think of uh, uh, this context in which Paul's writing to. He's talking to the, the uh, Judaizers in a sense, right? Those would be people we would consider as legalists because they're trying to take and add something to faith in Christ alone. And they add the law to that. And so as we look at this picture of legalism, I think it's one of those words that we often hear and we kind of write off. Because most of the people that we think about that we would call legalists or, or practice legalism, we would probably think about them and say, yeah, that's them. But if we were to go to them, they wouldn't consider themselves legalists, would they? And in fact, they might be pretty offended if you told them that they were being legalistic. And so it's one of those words that, that we automatically don't go, yep, that's me. I'm, I'm really living in legalism. And so we've got to be careful when we come to this idea because I don't want us to be deceived and thinking that this has nothing to do with us because I believe it does. In fact, I, I hear oftentimes people say, well, they're being legalistic just because they're a strict Christian or they want to follow Christ with all their heart. That's not legalism. So what is legalism? If I'm going to use this word, let's make sure we kind of define this a little bit. Let's start from the beginning and, and really the essence of legalism is right behavior with wrong belief. Right behavior, behaving rightly, or at least what I mean by right behavior is doing what you believe is correct with wrong belief. And this is why it's so easy to get caught up in this because it's deceiving. What you're doing is literally what you think you're supposed to be doing. 
you have good intentions, your heart is pure, you're genuine in what you're doing, and in fact, you believe it's what God desires of you. And so as you're walking in that, it can be challenging because it can be deceiving because we're genuine. We're, 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 it's not only the bad things, it's the good intentions that deceive us at times. And so as we walk through this again, we got right behavior but wrong belief. Belief was wrong. And so legalism, I want to walk through this a couple different ways here to show you the, what I mean by wrong belief. And I think first off, legalism in a way is, is believing that you can practically work in your own power. So when I'm talking about legalism, the wrong belief is that we're doing things in our own power. We believe in Christ and that he saved us that we're saved and, and we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but we kind of spend the rest of our life after accepting that truth, just trying to do it the best we can. We accept Jesus into our heart. We praise God for, for saving us, but the rest of our life, we try as hard as we can to follow him. And that touching a little close to home in the way we think at times? I want to challenge you to think that's leaning toward legalism because you're working in your own power. Legalism often starts believing um, its own rules. And so while we're working in our powers, we just kind of go ahead and throw our own rules in there at times. We're going to see this with the Judeans as they talk about circumcision and different things. Y'all realize that we have um, man-made rules that we follow as close as if it was in the Bible itself? What if I told y'all next week we're going to start moving service time to 2 p.m. every Sunday morning? Well, it wouldn't even be Sunday morning anymore, would it? <laughs> We'd be like, oh, wait a second. That's not how you do church. <laughs> it might be in Africa. It might be in some of the other cultures and societies. In fact, they go for four or five hours a lot of times praising and worshiping the Lord. Are they not doing church right? <laughs> Who are we? There's times in which we take words and thoughts and ideas and, and hold to them as if they were given by the Lord and here when they are not. That is legalism. Doing it in your own power. Um, putting your own rules on things. But the greatest indicator of legalism that I want you to hear this morning is that it, it's when you work to earn God's favor. I know initially we say, well, we know we can't really earn God's favor. But I'm talking practically. How do we live? Do we work to earn God's favor? The idea that doing certain things and not doing certain things will make God pleased with me or not pleased with me. Don't we think through that a little bit that way? I know I have. I know I struggle. I fall into this at times. I believe we all fall into this at times. This is where performance-based faith really takes flourish. This is the greatest form of legalism today. I truly believe that, again, we're not aware of it. And that's what's so scary about it. We're not just walking around saying, I'm legalistic and I'm proud of it. No, we have a right heart. We're genuine in thinking this is the way that we are to do it. In fact, our belief is wrong. It's not in our own power that we work. It's not our rules. And lastly, it's not for God's favor. But we have this thought. We believe if we read the Bible, we believe that if we're praying, if we're giving to the church, if we're doing these good things, then essentially God's pleased with me at that moment. But if we struggle, like I said, with getting into the Word at times, we struggle with getting into praying at times, and we've been skipping out playing hooky from church for a little bit, maybe four months because of the coronavirus, we say, well, God's not really pleased with me right now. You say, is that really the way I think? I think we do think that way because I've heard so many people say, well, I hope when Jesus returns, I'm kind of doing good at that time, right? 
that's based on this thought of what I'm doing at this time is either pleasing God or not pleasing God. And so again, as we hear this word legalism, may we seek God. Father, Lord, open our own hearts and eyes to this reality that in the church, Lord, legalism is present. In our church, God, that legalism is present. In our own hearts, legalism is present at times, Lord. I pray that through your word, though, as we get into the scripture, we're getting there, Lord, as we get into this, Lord, that you would open our eyes to this, that we wouldn't be distracted by and deceived by this disease called legalism, and it wouldn't point us to ourselves. and that ultimately, Lord, we would be pointed to you through your gospel message. God, help us understand that this morning. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. There's the first way we fall into a lot is legalism. The second approach that we tend to fall into on the other side of this is what we call hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is huge, right? It's probably one of the most um, prevalent complaints from the lost people about the church today, isn't it? Well, there's hypocrites there. How many times have you heard that? However, hypocrisy is not something new to the church. In fact, we're going to see right here that even some of the apostles at the very beginning get caught up in hypocrisy. So as we look at this, as we walk through this, it's so important to, to see what, what Paul's talking about as we get to Galatians chapter 2. And as we're getting ready to read this, I promise I'm getting to the scripture. I want to give you context, though. Peter had come to Antioch, and he started eating with the Jews, I mean with the Gentiles. He was a Jew, but he starts eating with the Gentiles. Why is that important? He's just kind of being friendly, ain't he? He's just try, trying to, no, this is huge. Don't overpass this. A Jewish man that's been saved by, through Christ in Christ is now coming and seeing that salvation is for the nations and he's implementing that in his life as he's walking with the Gentile people. This is amazing that he's eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles. I mean, Peter's been a good Jewish man all of his life, essentially. He's held to this idea, and in the Jewish law, it was designed to separate Jews and Gentiles. Y'all realize that, right? Go read your Old Testament, that it was designed to separate. You literally worship different places. You would, you would eat different things. You would not marry intermingling in the, uh, outside of, of, of being a Jew. All these things were to keep you separated so that they would seek God, but more so that the people would be kind of like a flagship people, a chosen people in which God would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through to show salvation to the world. And so this whole design has always been for centuries, granted, stay away, be separated. And now we have Peter sitting there eating food with, with uh, the Gentile people. I mean, this is amazing. This kind of opens up a can of worms, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Here's these two groups of people together, and, and uh, how does this work exactly? <laughs> Do we even eat the same thing? Do we even, can we even, we practically speak different languages. How does this work? And so this is amazing that he's, do, he's doing this. It's, it's showing that, that he's understood that God's revealed this to him. And in fact, we, we see this is the same issue that Jesus dealt with. If you remember the Gospels, when, when over and over again they say, oh, Jesus is, is eating with the sinners. And the Pharisees were struggling with it. He's eating with the sinners. Well, the sinners aren't these just bad people that are living um, wickedly. They're, they're Gentiles. The problem that Jesus had a lot of times with the Pharisees is he was eating with the Gentiles, with the nations. And so, as we get to this, it's important to understand that Peter understood. If you remember, as we actually walked through Acts, in fact, they're watching this morning the Easter service from this year, and it was that service from Acts chapter 10 in which we saw Peter understand this 
You remember when Peter and God uh, and, and Cornelius was working, God was working on both Peter and Cornelius' heart. Cornelius was a Gentile, Peter was a Jew, and, and God had told uh, Cornelius that, that to send for Peter and to, he would come and preach the gospel, and Peter was just kind of hanging out. He was hungry one day up on the roof, and God sends this vision of these animals coming down, and, and he says, take and eat, and, and Peter says, no, 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 they're not clean, and God says, yes, they are clean. I've made them clean. And so Peter's kind of confused in all that. And so he eventually gets these people to come. They take him to Cornelius. And it's at that point when he's walking in that he even starts realizing what God's been telling him this whole time. In fact, Acts 10, verse 27. I think I got it on the board up here. Acts 10, 27 says, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. These are all Gentile people. This is Cornelius and his family. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. That's what we're talking about. That's the struggle. He says, But God, Peter says, But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Isn't that awesome? What happens after that? Peter preaches the gospel. The Gentiles get saved. Literally, God sends His grace and His Spirit and indwells the Gentiles as if it was a Gentile Pentecost. And Peter goes back, and you remember as he goes back, uh, they're like, wait a second, you went to who? The Gentiles? And Peter says, who was I? God sent His Spirit. <laughs> who was I to stop that? And that's when they said in Acts eleven eighteen. and when they heard this, they had no further objections and praise God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Peter understood. It's been revealed to him. He preached it. That's why it's so shocking when Paul gets to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. If you're in Galatians chapter 2, say amen. You say, I've been waiting for you to get there all morning. Galatians 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This is epic. This is huge. The Apostle Paul is confronting the Apostle Peter. He says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. He had understood he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He was eating with them. But when the certain men from James came, it says, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. And so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? Paul gets right to the point here. He says, you're a hypocrite, Peter. He says, you understood this. You preached it. God revealed it to you. And here you are withdrawing yourself. He fell into hypocrisy. The rest of the Jews fell into hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, falls into hypocrisy, doing the same thing, withdrawing themselves from the, from the Gentiles here. But the biggest issue for Paul is in verse 14. It was that the hypocrisy was a, de a deviation from the gospel. It took their attention from the gospel. They withheld the truth of the gospel. Do y'all realize that hypocrisy is a threat to the gospel? That hypocrisy hinders the gospel? That hypocrisy can take and, and, and not share the whole truth of the gospel? I think we too, while legalism is, is kind of wrong belief and right behavior, you think of hypocrisy again as this idea of, of 
right belief but wrong behavior. And I think we struggle with this today. I think in senses we have, in kind of a, some sense, we have kind of different tiered Christians, don't we? You know, we have those basic Christians that's accepted Jesus Christ and they're saved. They profess Christ, but, but that's it. They just kind of got Christ. And then you have the devoted Christians. Those that pray and read their Bible and go on mission trips and those that do all these extra things. So you have those that are just kind of basic Christians and those that are... That's the way we think sometimes, isn't it? But in the Scriptures, that's not the case. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either a follower of Christ or you're not a follower of Christ. And so as we look at this, hypocrisy does play a role. And I think Galatians reminds us of how easy it is to either kind of shift into legalism or shift into hypocrisy so easy. And we need one another to help us avoid this and to lean in on the gospel truth. So as we look at this, we struggle with both of these ways. How do we please God then? If it's not by um, legalism, if it's not by hypocrisy, certainly not, how do we do it? And that comes with the second point here this morning. God's pleasure is really only accomplished through gospel-centered faith in Christ. God's pleasure is really only accomplished through gospel-centered faith in Christ. What do I mean by that? I could just say faith in Christ up here, and it would be correct, it would be right, but my problem with that is that we understand faith in Christ a little differently than the way the Scriptures present it sometimes. I think if we just say faith in Christ, then we got this idea of just believing in Christ. That's all it is. But there's more to it. When we look at gospel-centered faith, what does this show us about what faith is? And that's what I want to look at. If this is the only way to please God, it's so important that we understand this. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Look at what it says. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if we, while we seek, and he kind of answers or gives this redundant question, he says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? He says, Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen to the language here. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So God's pleasure, God's pleasure is really only accomplished through gospel-centered faith. So while legalism is right behavior, wrong belief, while hypocrisy is right belief, wrong behavior, Paul finally gets to this point of saying, let me show you how those two connect. How do we get right belief with right behavior? And that is in this beautiful place called faith. And he's going to open the door to this idea of faith. You hear how many times he says it, by faith in Christ, by faith in Christ, by faith in Christ. Like three or four times he says it over and over again. God is pleased through gospel-centered faith in Christ. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 tells us it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. 
It is impossible. So let's get back to this question here. How do we please God? Well, if it says it's impossible to do it any other way than but by faith, if that's the only way we can please God, then we better understand what faith is in Christ. Amen? So let's dig into this a little bit. There's three things I want us to see about this faith. The first one is through this faith, we are graciously justified. Through this faith, we are graciously justified. Paul reminds Peter that they being Jews also have received salvation, not by the law, but by Christ. He says, Peter, he says, you understand that we're saved by, by Christ, not the law. How in the world? He says, it's by him. And four times we see this word justified in verses 16 and 17. It says justified. How are we justified? Well, justification is another one of them words we've got to understand. And faith and justification go hand in hand. You know, um, Martin Luther actually said that it's the doctrine of justification. He says that the church will either stand or fall upon. Uh, Calvin said that the, this doctrine of, of salvation and through faith alone and this idea of justification, he says, it's the hinge that everything else turns on. I mean, these are the reformers. This is why we're not in a Catholic church this morning, because of these men leaning in on the scriptures and hearing uh, God's spirit and what they were sharing. And he's, they're saying, this is it. This is the reason. We better listen. Amen. This idea that we are graciously justified. So what is justification? Well, David Platt gives a good, illustra- or a good definition. I want to give it to you. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it one more time, then we're going to break it down. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Christ alone. So solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first part, justification is the gracious act of God. He says, how are we justified? Through God's grace alone. It's not of our merit, not of anything me and you do. It's by His grace. Church, if we understand anything, we must understand this beautiful picture of God's grace. That it is what justifies us. And that faith itself is evidence of God's grace. Y'all realize that, right? I think sometimes we can get so caught up in where you, that we almost make faith a work itself. But faith is not a work of ours. Faith is a work of God. It's a gift He's given us. And it's evident by His grace. If God never sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and to die on the cross, be buried and resurrected, we would not even have a clue what faith is. It is by His grace that faith is even a possibility that we have. And so justification is a gracious act of God. A gracious act. Justification is a gracious act of God by which God declares. Who's declaring us justified? Not ourselves. God declares us, us justified. Almost as if it's a, 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 a declaration, not an act. I mean, an act, not a process. This idea of God saying, you are justified. I want us to picture it that way. Almost as if a stamp with your name, there's your name, and, and, and when we become in Christ and His Spirit enters and dwells in us, it's stamped and we are therefore then considered justified, declared by God, not us. So who can take that away from us? If God has declared it, no one can take that away from us. So I want to stay with me because this gets deep. It's so important to understand that He's the one that declares it, meaning that today, if you are in Christ Jesus, and He indwells you with His Spirit, you will never be more justified than you are today. 
That's a beautiful, gracious gift from God that he says right now in the midst of who you are and who you'll ever be, you'll never be more justified, not because of you, but because of me. Y'all realize that from this day, if you're in Christ, I'm saying that, if you're in Christ, from this day, even to when you spend eternity with him in his presence, you still won't be more justified then than you are today. It's a beautiful reality we get to participate in right now. That he declares, and what, who does he declare? A sinner, one who is unholy before a holy God, a person who is guilty. And what's he declare him to be? A righteous. The confirmed guilty is then therefore told to be righteous. How all this happens? Solely through faith in Jesus Christ. By trusting in Christ's work, God takes our guilty account and places it on Jesus Christ as he paid that account on the cross. And he takes Jesus' account of righteous holiness and places it on me and you. An awesome, glorious exchange is given to us when we are justified. So we see this beautiful role of justification by faith, but I know if you're like me, I've struggled with this. I've asked the Lord to give me discernment in this because I've struggled with this. And the Galatians, the, the Judaizers, they struggled with this. This idea, of, if you say that it's all by faith and grace alone, if that's how we're justified, then, then, then doesn't that undermine a, a life that's lived for Christ? Isn't that just kind of like this cheap grace in which he justifies you and you can go and sin and do whatever you want? How many times have we thought that or heard that argument? It's out there. So how does Paul deal with this in Galatians? He does. He gives us this beautiful uh, example of, of, of walking through this. Praise God. He takes care of this question. And it comes in this second thing I want us to understand about faith. This idea that through this faith, we now live in Christ. What does it mean to live in Christ? Through this faith, you get that opportunity to live in Christ. Look at verse 19. For I through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. That I might live to Him. That I might live in Him. Y'all realize that we are not just saved from something, we're saved to something, and more so saved to someone. We're not just saved from our sin and, and hell and the wickedness. We're saved to walk in Christ. Praise the Lord that we have His grace. The idea of asking Jesus into your heart, getting baptized, and then living your life the exact same after that makes no sense to the Scriptures. And we struggle with this. Baptists especially have struggled with this idea of, of once saved, always saved, because I just talked about that. Who's to take us out of that? If God's declared it, He's declared it. I believe once we're saved, we're always saved. But I believe we have the wrong idea of what salvation is at times. We've made it into a process, I'm going to walk through this in a minute, a process of just accepting the fact that Jesus died and was buried and raised from the grave and he did that for your sin and we think, okay, that's it. But there's another side of this coin in which not only do we accept that and see that and receive that gift, but then we have a presence of the Holy God indwelling inside of us to live in Christ. It doesn't equal when we look at how you, you, you can have just one or the other. I'm going to show you that at the end here. But listen to me. Faith is not just receiving salvation. Faith is also enabling us to live out our salvation. It's not just receiving salvation. It's enabling us to live out our salvation. Every day we live it out. 
Verse 19 again, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Through faith, we are now in Christ. The Bible says in Christ over and over again. And this is really like this idea of into Christ. We are saved into Christ, meaning that it's not just this acceptance of it, but we're running to him. We're abiding in him. He is living out through us and in us. It's beautiful. And what happens in this is we share in his death and his resurrection. We share in that. Paul even says that baptism is is a symbol of you sharing in that. Our sin is put to death. It's power. It's dominion. It's it's work on us. It's put to death. Past, present, future. Praise God. It's gone. And through faith, we have been changed. When he says, I've been crucified, it is no longer the same me. It is no longer I that lives. That's the part of salvation that we struggle with at times. It's literally no longer me. I am new. I am in Christ. It is Christ in me. What he's saying is, when we become in Christ, our literal heart of stone crumbles away. And that he puts his spirit inside of us to cause us to walk in his statues, to keep his commandments, to obey him, to be our God and us to be his people. The whole new covenant is this beautiful promise in which he says, you are made new. Oh, thank you, Lord. No longer is my life considered centered on self, self self-exaltation, self-esteem, self-confidence. It's on Christ, who Christ is, my worth in Christ, my confidence in Christ, his exaltation. The last thing we got to understand about faith, and I'm going to wrap this up. The third thing we must understand about Christians' faith is, that, and is this, that we are not in debt to Christ. Let that sink in. We are not in debt to Christ. We are indwelt by Christ. Let that sink in for a moment, because this is hard for us to understand. We don't understand this naturally. A lot of times we get this understood wrong. We think, man, Christ did everything for me. He died on the cross, took my sins. And and so then we get this idea that since he did all of this, man, I've got to live for him. I've got to do my best to repay him. I've got to work my entire life to, to show him how appreciative I am of this. And while I understand that the heart can be right in that, but you are not in debt to Christ. Christ paid that debt and is continuing to pay that debt. We are forgiven a debt from Christ. Praise the Lord that we're not in debt, that we instead we are indwelt by Him. Truth is, we could never do anything to repay Him. And the reason He did it in the first place was not for us to ever repay Him. That would not make it grace. Grace is the fact that He did it without know, with knowing that we would never repay Him. He did it so He could indwell inside of us. Therefore, Christian life is much is not as much about us living for Christ as much as it is Christ living in us and through us and with us. It's not about me for Christ. It's about Christ and me. Amen? I want you to hear this. Not just that Christ died on the cross, buried and raised from the grave. We got that here. We got it. We understand that. I don't think there's probably one of us in here that just outrightly rejects that. We understand that he came and he lived a perfect life and he, he, he literally was humiliated on the cross. The pain, the suffering, it was for us, for our sin. 
And we understand it was for us. It was His grace. I think we get that for the most part. But that's one side of salvation. Yes, amen, but we don't just agree to that to, to be put in Christ. It's we agree to that, and the purpose of that is that now He indwells inside of us. The whole purpose of the cross was so that God could commune, live in and with us. Church, you've got to understand this. I think that times we have accepted a Jesus that was on the cross and that raised from the cross, but I want you to know He's no longer on the cross. He wants to live and dwell inside of you. And transform you, change you into the image of Christ. Church, this is beautiful news. We can't just accept one of it, though. It's both. The cross, the resurrection, and the dwelling, the promise of the new covenant and dwelling inside of us. Praise the Lord. It leads me to this last point, this wrapping all this back to this last question. Very short here. How do you please God? The answer is you can't. You can't. We, I, cannot please God on my own performance. God's pleasure is based on His performance in you. The third point this morning, God's pleasure is ultimately based on Christ's work in you. And this is the beautiful news of the gospel. A holy God knew that there was absolutely nothing me and you could do about it. That we rebelled and turned from Him and there's literally no way we would ever get back to Him. But that holy God looked at us as unholy people and said, I'm making a way. And He had it planned from the beginning. That's what amazes me. And He says, not only am I making a way, I'm going to do all the work. That's God's grace. Now, that's not cheap grace. It costs a price. And it doesn't mean that, that uh, we just live however we want and, and, and filled with sin. No. When we understand that he died and was resurrected, that part of salvation, when we understand that, amen, absolutely. But then he wants to come and dwell inside of your heart, inside of you, his presence in you and with you, and change you. Therefore, we obviously have a misunderstanding somewhere in our churches today because we have a lot of people that accepted that but are not changed. Amen? Maybe some of us today have accepted that, but we come again and again feeling like we're not pleasing God. We feel like we're failing, that we've tried over and over and over again, and there's absolutely nothing I can do. I just can't do it. I want to encourage you this morning to say yes to that, but then to say but the beauty of that is so that you will dwell inside of me and make me into your image, Christ. That's salvation. By his grace, his mercy. So I'm asking you, will you trust him today? By his grace and through faith alone, will you be saved today? Will he transform your heart today? Will he make that heart of stone crumble away? I don't care if you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart when you were younger. I don't care about that right now. I want to know, do you trust Christ in the way that we've just walked through, in the way he's just revealed that to you, in the sense that, yes, he died on a cross, was raised, but that he dwells inside of us and makes us in Christ by his mercy and his grace? Has God revealed that to you? Because if he hasn't, Come running to him because he's already pursuing you. Did you read, I think it's verse 19 or 20? It says, because he loved me and he gave himself for me. We talk a lot about the nations. 
but I want you all to know you are included in the nations and that God loves you, that he's pursuing you and he gave himself for you. Do you respond to the gospel message today? I got a video I want you all to watch and I'm going to pray. And during this video, it's a song. The words are hard to see. I don't want you to focus on, on the screens. I want you to focus on what God's doing in your heart. And I am available, but it's not me that you come to be saved. It's Christ you come to to be saved. But I'll walk with you through that as much as I can and pray God to open your eyes and your heart. And that's, that's what I'm doing already. Father God, Lord, you are mighty and holy and wonderful, Lord. And we're about to hear a message through a song called Your Love Move First, Lord. God, that's the truth that your love moved, Lord, first. That's where the grace is at. Lord, and because of that grace, we have this wonderful gift called faith. Lord, I pray that you help us examine our own hearts, that you would open our hearts to the fact that maybe we've walked through agreeing and assenting to the idea that Jesus did die and was buried and resurrected and he did that for my sins, but we've never really saw the gospel revealed to us in the sense that the purpose of it was to commune with you, Lord, not just to forgive me, Lord, but to commune with you, to be in you, Lord, and you and us. God, would you reveal that right now? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This is the story of a runaway with no way home and no way out. I threw the best of me away. I had my chance. It's too late now. Too far gone and too ashamed to think that you'd still know my name. But love refused to let my story in that way. You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance, even if I wanted to. You came running after me when anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Chase this rebel down, crawl into this prisoner's cage, take my hand and pull me out. You knew I couldn't make the change, so you became the change in me. And now I live to tell the story of the God who rescues.
but make the first move.